think you need to be careful what you wish for. I really do. Because at one time I thought that, this, that being a woman, for whatever reason, was what I wanted, but it was not. You know, you don't just try hormones. It's not like trying a, a new brand of shoes or like, a, you know, a new shampoo. It's, it's a serious thing. You know, I think you should just try being yourself, if possible. I mean, you don't want to be a medical patient for the rest of your life, unnecessarily. You must be some kind of therapist. I am some kind of therapist, and I'm about to take you on a journey through the inner wilderness. I've invited brilliant guests from all walks of life to join me as we investigate, illuminate, and inspire transformation in ourselves, intimate relationships, and the social ecosystems we are constellated in. What you are about to hear may surprise you, so hang on to your earbuds for a hefty dose of sanity in a chaotic world. I am Stephanie Wynn, a licensed marriage and family therapist branching out and building bridges between psychology and everything else under the sun. It's my honor to have you along for the ride. Let's get started. Today's episode addresses the painful topic of gender malpractice. Brian is one of numerous people I've interviewed on this show who has been horrendously mistreated by the medical and mental health professionals that were responsible for his care. If you're familiar with my work, then you know I am passionate about this issue. What you may not know is that I am actively working on developing other resources for detransitioners like Brian. So I'd like to take a moment to direct you to a few of these resources that you can find on my blog. For one, I'm currently in the first stages of writing one of the first self-help books for survivors of gender malpractice. It's tentatively titled The Detransition Survival Guide. And the way I'm writing this book is one letter at a time through corresponding and writing with people like Brian. I invite survivors of gender malpractice to vent to me in writing. Their raw, honest messages then serve as prompts for me to respond to in the most helpful way that I can muster, and their feedback on how my responses impacted them will further help me in refining the messages that will end up in the book. Each of these letter exchanges are posted on my blog as I write them. I've had a few survivors of gender malpractice take me up on this, and more are on the way. I'm trying to write at least one letter per week on average. You can find these letter exchanges, as well as more information about the book project, on my blog at sometherapist.com read. There's another important resource for detransitioners on my blog as well. I recently posted an article called How to File a Complaint About the Fraudulent Gender-Affirming Therapy That Harmed You. If you have been harmed by so-called gender-affirming therapy and have thought about filing a complaint with your former therapist's licensing board, please check this article out. It will walk you through everything you need to know in order to take action. So if you have been harmed by gender malpractice and are interested in a letter writing exchange, feel free to write to me at hello at sometherapist.com. I will send you a contract to clarify expectations, making sure, for example, that you understand this is not a substitute for therapy, and then we can get started with writing each other. I do sometimes take a while to get back to people, but I will do my best to get back to you. Please check out the project and lots more on my blog at sometherapist.com slash read. Now on to Brian's episode. At times we go into graphic detail, so this episode may not be suitable for all listeners. This is heavy stuff to listen to, but I hope that Brian's courage in opening up so candidly is helpful to anyone who can relate to his experience or who cares about the issues impacting people like Brian. 
As always, thank you for listening. Today I'm interviewing Brian. Brian is a detransitioned young man who I met on Twitter. Uh, Brian has expressed that he felt harmed by the affirmation model of psychotherapy. And as my listeners know by now, this is something I'm very concerned about. So I'm grateful that you were able to come here and share your story with us today, Brian. Welcome. Thank you. Can you tell our audience a bit about who you are, where you come from, and what you're up to? Sure. Um, My name is Brian. I grew up in Los Angeles County. I've lived in LA County and I've been Orange County my entire life. I've never really lived anywhere else. You know, within the last year, I detransitioned from living as a transgender woman. So with that, you know, left a lot of some noticeable scars and some internal ones, I guess. And I'm just trying to heal from it. I work full time, mostly a pretty normal dude. Like I have had this strange thing happen to me, I suppose. Okay. So if it's all right with you, let's dive in. Tell us what happened to you. What was your journey of discovering gender ideology? How far did you go down medicalization? What prompted you to detransition? Okay. So I grew up um, with my mother and father who divorced when I was in elementary school. And I lived with my sister and my mom most of the time, but I would often go visit my father who lived not far away. And my father, uh, he's 45 years older than me. He was an airborne ranger in the Vietnam War just a very masculine man, just like a very intense dude, um, you know, very stern and like, but also very professional. He can be, of course, with his career and stuff. But so I would go visit him. And, you know, as a little boy, I, I wasn't like feminine necessarily. I wasn't like into wearing skirts or playing with Barbies. But I also was not very good at like aggressive male sports like basketball or football or even like baseball is never very good at. Um, so I think that was somewhat of a disappointment to him. And also throughout my schooling, I was teased and harassed and bullied very badly. Like from honestly, like, like kindergarten until it didn't really stop until I was in like 11th grade. And then, and it sort of went on until later but not like extreme like it was when i was particularly in junior high school and my first two years of high school i was beaten up constantly called horrible names had like a mean nickname for me and um with that it just really messed up my like my sense of you know who i was as a person trying to develop into you know from adolescence into early adulthood and i mean still it's still to somewhat to some extent uh traumatizes me to this day so, um, when I was like, I don't know, probably like 10 or 11, I realized that I had same sex attractions, you know, I was you know, gay, homosexual, whatever. And that was just very difficult for me because my dad, um, he's like, back then he would oftentimes say nasty things about gay people and gay males really. And that it's a very bad thing and you don't want to be gay and, you know, so on and so forth. And he was mean to me in his own ways, too. He sort of bullied me a little bit. So, um, also, and then when I was in high school, too, I started to get into drugs. Like, I got into, you know, I started with, like, marijuana and, like, alcohol. And it 
you know, just escalated like all the way to the, the top of the drug scale of the bad drugs a person can do. So, um, yeah, and, you know, I just couldn't, you know, when I was like in high school or whatever, I couldn't like come out and be gay. Um, and I, other people, you know, they suspected it of me and they teased me for it constantly. And, um, yeah, so it just really messed with my head. And after I graduated from high school, I, you know, started to do harder drugs and my mom did not like this. So she kind of like kicked me out of the house and I went to live with my father who, you know, fucked with me for those two years, constantly tormenting me. But while I lived with my dad, I did drugs and drank alcohol every single day. And I went to a junior college where I did quite well, actually. But the only reason I think I did good is because I abused the drugs I was into back then was like speed, Adderall at that time, like, you know, amphetamine, you know, if you gives you a lot of drive so I can, I could do my schoolwork and, um, you know, function to some degree as a, you know, a college student. So I got into doing that and I had not good friends and I ended up finishing at the junior college and I was accepted into a four-year university where um, I studied sociology, okay, which is kind of a, you know, whatever, it's very, um, you know, social science is oftentimes in these departments. This this was back, this would have been about 2012, maybe 13. And it was not as, I would imagine it's much worse today, but very, very left-wing, like far left. Um, ideologies. Like I had uh, numerous professors who were openly Marxist, and you know, I learned about all these different, you know, theoretical perspectives, like the queer theory and stuff like that. And at at a time, I was into it. I would I would have considered myself a leftist for about. Two years when I was in college, I genuinely was down with this shit. Okay. So at this time, too, I, by then I had moved out of my father's house. My mother liked me again because I started going to college. So I got like my own, you know, condo or whatever to live in, which my roommate at the time, we just turned into an absolute drug den. All right. So the drugs started to escalate where I, I was into mainly like pills, you know. Adderall, Xanax, that kind of thing, where I started doing more like cocaine and crystal meth because, you know, just it's a lot cheaper to do meth. So one of the side effects of these drugs is increased uh, sexual arousal, okay? So at that time, and this is after I'd lived with my father for two years, and I couldn't like you know, engage in the gay lifestyle. I couldn't, you know, he used to go through my stuff. It was, I don't want to go, but anyway, so now I, I wasn't living there. So I would like, you know, I don't know. I would look at gay porn and stuff and I would do drugs like speed and stuff. And I also like this drug called GHB, which I would, you know, use on the come down, which also makes you, uh, you know, horny or whatever sexually aroused. And, you know, I started out just watching gay porn, you know, and then, you know, that didn't really do it for me anymore. 
So I got into like stranger and stranger porns. And I eventually got into transgender porn. And then I came across this bizarre subgenre of porn pornography called sissy porn. You know, there were some that would like tell you to take hormones and that you're really you're really a girl and all this stuff. And I was just, I don't know, I got into it. And I would oftentimes like sit in my bedroom and do drugs and just look at this stuff for hours. Yeah. And I would say like to myself, you know, I'm, I'm using these drugs to help me with my schoolwork, which it did do. It, it, it really did. But at the same time, before I could do my homework, I would look at this pornography for hours, for hours. And um, it just, I really, it just escalated from that. And then, you know, when I went to school in the sociology department, I took psychology and uh, political science and like, you know, this was... In that era back, this might have been maybe 2014 at this point, you know, I don't know, it's before that, but trans wasn't as big as it is now. It was just starting to, um, you know, be a, more of a thing. And, but I started hearing more about it and how everything's a social, it started with this sociological theory called uh, symbolic interactionism, you know. And then I, I, you know, I, I took this class and I had to, we read these stories where we would have like these short stories where we would have to, um, analyze them from like a theoretical perspective. So I would sometimes use like the queer theory or like the feminist, uh, approach, the feminist theory. And one of the stories I did was the silence of the lambs. Okay. So anyway, Back at this time, and then I would, you know, I started to, I hated myself. I was a drug addict. I didn't really have good friends. My family wasn't, like, super in my life. They, I mean, not, not the way that they are now, but I was very isolated. And I don't know, I, the thought started to manifest that I'm, that, you know, maybe this is why I didn't fit in, in school. Maybe I was secretly a, or that I was a woman trapped in a man's body. I began to believe that. And I'd go on Reddit and YouTube, and I would watch these uh, videos or read these posts about how you could have experienced gender euphoria. Right? That's one of the terms they used. And I don't know, for some reason it appealed to me. And um, you know, as a kid, I, like I said, I, I wasn't feminine, not really. I'm still not really that. I mean, maybe slightly, but... Um, I never, I mean, I have a sister. I never wanted to wear her clothes or play with Barbies. And I know a lot of these people are going to say, you know, uh, you know, that doesn't mean anything about, you know, you know, gender, there's masculine boys. Yes. But there's, you know, patterns that I, at least I, I think this, and I think gender is a real thing. And I think that, yes, like in our, in Western society, there's most cases, boys, gravitate towards certain things and girls gravitate towards certain things. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do believe, yes, of course, there's some variation. But for me, I was a somewhat normal boy. I admired sports. I admired, you know, athletics, of course. I also admired, like, the, tr like the toys I played with were boys' toys. So I didn't really have, like, you know, I didn't ever want to wear ladies' clothes until I got into, until I was doing drugs and um, 
watching this bizarre porn. And I don't think that this porn made me this way. I don't think it necessarily made me do it, but I do think it planted a seed in me. Okay? So, and I take responsibility for all the dumb shit I've done in my life. It's my fault. All right? I, I, fucked, I fucked up royally. Okay? So, anyway, I came across these YouTube videos of someone who, you know, I would just put in the YouTube uh, search bar, are, like, am I transgender, shit like that. Because I, you know, wasn't, I just, you know, thought I had a sex fetish, which I think at the time I, I did, you know, obviously. It's very embarrassing. But anyway, so I came across this YouTube channel of a gender therapist, a woman who specializes in transgender care, whatever, whatever the, the terminology may be. And this woman who I went to see, I found her through her YouTube channel is still up and they're, I'm not, I won't say her name, but, or the name of the channel, but there's, there's several of these therapists, but I discovered that this one was somewhat local to me, like within an hour's drive of where I lived at the time. And I emailed this individual and like, you know, I made an appointment and a couple of days later I went out to see her and, you know, I was like a you know, I looked okay. I was, I mean, I was a handsome young men used to like me. Women used to want to, you know, I was, you know, I could have had whatever, but anyway, I wasn't interested in that for, I was just so fucked up in the head, but I went there. I remember I wore like a really nice outfit, like a traditional, like, like a nice, really nice, uh, you know, men's outfit. Like I wore like a button up shirt. I think I tucked my shirt in, you know, I wore like, you know, dress shoes or something. I don't know what, but Anyway, so I did that, and I told her about, like, this porn I'd been watching and how I started to feel. I told her about my drug addiction. All right? I absolutely told her about that. And immediately, it just went to how I'm, I, I am a woman, okay? Like, I'm, I, you know, my, I'm really meant to be a female, and how I, she gave me the name of, like, three different doctors near where I lived at the time, where, like, I could get you know, hormone replacement therapy, like estrogen and, um, spironolactone, which is a drug that, uh, prevents a male's body from making testosterone. And I kind of slept on it. I didn't do it right away. And she invited me to come to like these group therapy sessions with like transgender people. And I, I went to like a couple of them in the beginning and I just started to like, I don't know, I just thought maybe this could be my thing and I could, you know, these, you know, maybe I can make friends and stuff. And I eventually did go see this doctor in Hollywood who, you know, I think, I think back then, I can't remember, I think this was 2012, I want to say, because I was about 21. So this would have been like 2012. That was right when I transferred to University of Laverne. So, okay. And back then you used to need a therapist consent letter, or at least this doctor required it. I, I highly doubt, I, it's my understanding you do not anymore especially at the LA LGBT center and this guy's still in business. But anyway, so I went to him and I waited and I spoke to him for a few minutes and I went, you know, looking much more male than I look now. You know, I, I looks like a young, young man. I, I mean, I still, anyway, I feel like I look a little bit, you know, the female hormones. I was on it for close to a decade and all right. So he wrote me a prescription for injectable estradiol and spironolactone and i continued to go every once in a while I'd go to like one of these group therapy sessions and 
she eventually, like this therapist woman, eventually, like she convinced me to try the hormones. She would say, you know, just try the hormones. It'll make you feel better. Because I had all these fucking problems. Like I was a drug addict. I was like traumatized by like my father and various other fucking things. And, um, you know, I don't know. I really didn't like, I just liked the idea of being somebody else. I hated myself. Like I remember when I was a kid, I used to call myself the freak. I used to think I was a fucking freak. Like I'm talking about like when I was in like uh, middle school, I said, I say that to my mother. And, um, anyway, so I always describe this therapist I see, saw. She was a licensed clinical social worker, but I always describe her as an activist who also happened to practice therapy or whatever, because she literally injected me with the first dose of estradiol. And like, she used to do this, like, yeah, it was very cult-like and she, she used to get involved. Like she was my friend on Facebook. Like I still have all these weird Facebook messages from, from her from years and years ago and um yeah she was very inappropriate like she was also like the mediator between two of like two of the transgender people's like they were roommates and she was like the mediator between like their lease agreement or whatever they got in fights or whatever so yeah i started taking the hormone therapy i came out of the you know as a trans woman to my roommate at the time and he i don't know i don't know what he i would you know he he was cool with it. Like he was like, all right, whatever. Like he was into. He was an alcoholic. He did. He and I used to do cocaine like constantly and other drugs. But um, so he didn't care. I started. I started wearing ladies' clothes. I was taking hormones. I my mom helped me with this. Like I, you know, I, I, God bless her heart. Like she's always, uh, you know, I don't, she didn't understand it, but she helped me with it. Like she paid for me to have laser hair removal and electrolysis she paid for me to go to the good endocrinologist um all this stuff she bought me new clothes you know and i just think because also too i remember telling this therapist that you know i used to kind of sometimes i used to fantasize about suicide like when i was like 21 or 22 i bought this gun that like i I used to call it my plan b and i used to like you know just but anyway and I told her, and the, the only reason I ever really felt suicidal was because sometimes I would do drugs, like, like you know, crystal meth, whatever. I'd stay awake for like five days. And I, like, I used to think the CIA was coming after me. I used to think like all these bizarre uh, things. I would sometimes stay up so, so long that I would start hallucinating. And then when I'd finally come down from those drugs, it's like, the, it's horribly painful. Like it's physically and mentally like horrible. And... Sometimes I would think, you know, I'd put the gun in my mouth. Sometimes I'd put the bullet in the chamber and I, you know, think, but I never really did it. I never, obviously I'm still here, but, um, and I told her about this and she was like, oh, well, you know, this is a life or death situation. You transitioning. She would always say that. And, and she would like say this to my mother and, um, cause I brought my mother one time and she was like, yeah, if you don't, and cause I was, by this time I was pretty far along in college. I, you know, was doing pretty well, all things considered. I, you know, I attribute that to like amphetamine use. However, she said like, you, you, you cannot wait to transition. You have to do this immediately. Like she used to tell me that testosterone, like my body's natural hormone was poison. It was poison. And it was like, just really, and it's going to, you know, it's going to make me more masculine and it's going to, you know, do all these things and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, had, had I not met this therapist, I I don't think I would have done this. I really don't. 
had I gone to, I, 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 so that's really partially why I uh, sort of speak out against this, or not against it, but about it, about or, or tell people what happened to me. Because I really think that these gender therapists and all, all this industry uh, along, not along, but about trans is, I think it's gone too far. Like with children, of course, but also like in, in California, insurances have to pay for this stuff. Like they will pay for, you know, I never had any plastic surgery done. Thank God. And the only thing I did was I had my facial. I don't have any body hair, but it might come back. I don't know. And I don't care if it does. it's all, I can live without it. You know, I still have my parts. Okay. I have my natural parts I was born with. I never really grew breasts or anything. I think that's because I was on speed and I didn't eat anything. So anyhow, um, yeah, so I speak out about it because I just feel like these gender therapists and there's another one. There's an even crazier one whose YouTube videos I've come across who's like, I don't know, like two miles from here. And, um, I just feel like if someone, you know, thinks he or she or whatever, you know, I know there's all these new neo, I won't go into that, but if you really think about changing your sex, I don't think you should go see a gender therapist. I think you should go see like a psychiatrist or like, cause I go see a psychologist now and I wish I found this psychologist when I was going, cause she's, she's from Iran. She's, she doesn't really know much about him. I mean, she does, but she's not really in tune with, uh, American culture so much. So she's very objective about it. And she's just like, she told me she would not have had me do this. So I just think people should really avoid gender therapists because like I said, I really believe that they're um, activists who happen to be therapists too. Because the woman I was seeing, she was married to a transgender male, you know, like a woman who took testosterone and, and all that, you know? So I feel like she had a bias to, I don't know, she didn't really, like she said I would quit doing drugs once I transitioned and that my problem, but that's not what happened at all. I got into worse drugs. My mom eventually, once I graduated college, I just became a full-time drug addict and I started doing oxycodone and all all the, I was doing speed balls and we called them goofballs and just weird drugs like every day. So eventually my mom sent me to an LGBT rehab down in Orange County that I went to. And I, you know, I, I lived with girls, which, you know, now I feel bad about. But anyway, this particular place was an LGBT place. And all that ended up happening was I got sober for like two weeks. And then I just met new people to do drugs with. I met like better drug connections. And that's all that happened. Eventually, I did. I've been to four different rehabs. And eventually, it did stick with me. I've been sober almost four years. It'll be four years in December, so about three and a half years. I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, all that kind of stuff. So when I went to therapy back in 2012, what I needed someone to do was to say, like, well, maybe you are transgender. I don't know. It's possible. It's possible you're not. But why don't you quit doing drugs for, like, at least six months and don't watch this weird porn and then we'll reassess. But that it, the, the exact opposite happened. I feel like she really pushed me into this. And I just know that had I gone to see the clinical psychologist I go see now, she told me she wouldn't have had me do this. As, as, and I looked like shit. Like I looked weird. Like my face was all sucked in. You know, I looked terrible. So 
yeah, I, I think me, this is my, this is just my experience. When I went to go see this therapist all fucked up on drugs, like basically a, what they call a tweaker at that time, that was what I was into. I was into tweaking out. Like it, it would have been like if a girl with anorexia and bulimia had gone to a therapist and said, you know, I have this problem and it's in, and the therapist was like, oh, well keep, you know, keep puking, you know, keep, keep starving yourself. So yeah, I feel like that's basically it. And anyway, so I got sober and I, you know, I had a call, a useless college degree. I learned a technical skill and I did some business stuff and my, my family helped me. And I got like a real job. Like a, I, won't, I don't want to go into my career or anything, but I got like a real job where I had to be there at certain times and I had responsibilities and stuff. And I, you know, I'd been sober for a while and I had zero interest in any of the weird porn. Like once I think, I really do think that was an amphetamine thing. I, and a pornography addiction thing was to look at that weird stuff. And I started to, I don't know. I started, I guess I started to become slightly more conservative in certain ways. I wouldn't say I'm totally a conservative, but I would say yes, because I get screwed really bad on taxes. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I live in Los Angeles and it's a very dirty place. And there's a lot of, you know, societal issues that I do think have to do with progressivism. But I started to listen to like things that I, when I was really woke in college, would not have wanted to listen to. Mainly, I listened to uh, Jordan Peterson on the Joe Rogan experience many years ago. And I don't know, it just sort of reconnected me with manhood. And I enjoyed male things. Like, I, I, never, dre- I never really dressed very effeminately. I wore women's clothes with a slightly more feminine cut, I guess. But basically, they're men's clothes with a makeup. So I didn't wear pumps. I didn't wear and I, and I know all these people are like, oh, well, women don't have to wear that and stuff. But there's certain, you know, societal patterns that women tend to do. And I didn't really do those. Okay. So, I mean, I was interested in cars and surfing and, uh, you know, I knew a lot about firearms and military history and just stuff like that, which is traditionally male. Not always, but you know, so I don't know. I just, and I, I just started and I started to watch where the trans movement was going. And I just thought it was weird. And I, and I just specifically remember, um, I was going into the bank one day and an older gentleman, he held the door open for me, like in, in a really polite way. And he was like, Oh, he said, he called me a ma'am at some point, like ma'am. And I just thought it was weird. I just, it made me feel uneasy. So I started to feel gender dysphoria when I was, you know, trans at the time. But the opposite of what, what I allegedly did, too. And I just, I don't know. I didn't really, I felt, and I, I guess I looked okay. I don't know. I, I feel like I looked like uh, white chicks, you know, like the 2002 uh, Marlon and Sean Wayne's film. I felt like I looked like them. But I don't know. I, I guess I passed okay. I don't know. I, I never really got hassled. I used to, I lived in ladies' sober livings. I lived, uh, you know, rehabs with ladies. I used to use the locker room, the women's locker room, women's restroom. So anyway, I just, I don't know. 
and I would look at men and, and I just, I don't know, I just still felt like a gay male. I didn't really, like, it, when I was around women, like, like a group of women, I didn't, I didn't really feel like one of, I, I, because I wasn't, but, but I, when I was around, like, a couple men, you know, it was like, you know, the boys, you know, I could, I could, I, I could never say, like, I'm the type of girl who I could never say that because it just, it just, it just, it just, it just felt silly. But I could say, like, you know, I'm the kind of guy who does this. I could say that, you know, that doesn't, I don't know. So I started to feel the gender dysphoria once I had transitioned, when I was, you know, once I sobered up, I just realized, and I, and I sometimes, like, look at myself and go, what the hell have I done? Like, what am I doing? Like, you know, I didn't, it, I don't know. So I still stayed as a, you know, woman, transgender, whatever, for a couple more years. And it just came to a head about, let's see, last year around Christmas time, I just did not want to do this anymore. And, you know, I talked to my family and, you know, they've, my mother at least has always supported me, whatever I've done. And, you know, she, she never understood why I did this. She just supported it because she was, I think she was worried I was going to kill myself or die from drug overdose, which, you know, almost happened. But, um, anyway, so the final nail in the coffin though, is I just read about this one story about trans stuff. It just weirded me out too much. And also I remember this trans person I knew who hates me now because I know I'm no longer trans. She said, she said something along the lines of, you know, in our community, like, you know, me, us as trans. And that just made me like cringe. I just, I just felt like, I just wanted to be like, don't, don't include me in this. Don't include me in this. So I don't know, but so last, no, this year, like I think in February, I cut, I had long hair. I cut it. Um, I went to the DMV or actually I had to go to the courthouse as a big procedure. And I, I had my name and gender legally changed back to my birth name. I had to get a new driver's license, everything. I'm trying to get a new passport right now, all, all, everything. So, yeah. Um, so, and I honestly, I, just, I, I really do feel better. I feel like my psychological health is better. I feel like I can mesh with people. I, I thought about, like, dating, you know, you know, a male, like, you know, just being a normal gay. And, you know, I'm okay with that. So, yeah. I, and I don't feel any gender dysphoria. I really don't. I have zero interest in looking at that strange pornography. Um, yeah, so, I mean, but I've had problems because I was, I was going to a doctor who did hormone pellets, estrogen pellets, and he was putting, like, so many of them and that the estrogen is still coming out of me. And there's, so I have to go see an endocrinologist. I have to see a urologist somewhat regular because, I mean, it's kind of graphic, but when I was taking the estrogen and, and he was giving me progesterone, which is like a pregnancy hormone, like the endocrinologist guy that I see now, he said that like I had like pregnant woman hormones, like the levels. But anyway, um, it like caused my my genitals to like atrophy and like go inside of me. And they once once it started to like level out, they started to come back out, and it was quite painful. So I mean, I'll, I I highly doubt I'd ever be able to like father a child. I doubt it. But I still have the parts though, so you know, in some ways I got out of this transition mess uh, somewhat better off than a lot of people. Like I never had any body parts. 
mutilated or removed or whatever the case may be. So, yeah, I never had any desire to do that. Like, I always thought breasts were gross. Like, women's, I don't know. I, I, I really am a homosexual. Like, I don't really, I, I don't want to see women naked. I don't, like, the thought of having breasts just seems very burdensome or whatever. It's just so, you know, thank God I never did that. And I, I can't, like, I can't look at a vagina. I can't do it. I just, it's, I, it's, I find it very, you know, it's just not something I'm interested in. So the idea of wanting, I never wanted to have that, I, the thought ever. So, so anyway, so thank God I've come out of that and I'm somewhat un, unscathed. Slightly, at least physically, for the most part. I think I'll be okay in you know, another six months. I think I'll, uh, I'll have my testosterone normal. I don't think I'll ever have like, my rugged masculinity back. <laughs> Not that I ever really did. I was never like a super... But, you know, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I look like a lesbian or something or Katie Lang. I don't know. I worry about that. But whatever. I think in time, I'm, 30, I'm 31 years old, I think. So anyway, that's pretty much the sum of it, you know, so. If you were to come to me as a client and tell me you were feeling grumpy, irritable, lethargic, stressed out, or unfocused, I'd want to do a thorough assessment of your lifestyle. And one of the first elements we'd look at is the quality and quantity of your sleep. You need at least a good seven hours of refreshing sleep every night in order to be your best self. There are many things that can get in the way of that, a demanding job, a new baby, or just plain bad habits, for example. But if you're having difficulty falling or staying asleep for the simple reason that you're too hot, you're too cold, or you and your partner don't agree on the temperature, look no further. I have just the thing for you. And since this is not therapy, but a podcast, I can actually sell you stuff. So I'm going to genuinely recommend that you check out the Pod Pro Cover by 8Sleep. It's the most advanced solution on the market for thermoregulation. The cover can adjust the temperature on each side of the bed individually for you and your partner based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment. Personally, I have mine set to run on autopilot so that my bed is warm when I get in, cool in the middle of the night, and warm again when it's time to wake up. I sleep very soundly this way. Improving your sleep is one of the best investments you can possibly make in your overall well-being, the quality of your work, and the lives of the people you touch. So go to 8sleep.com to check out the pod and use the code SOMETHERAPIST at checkout for up to $200 off your purchase. Even if they're already running another sale, this code will get you an additional $50 off. And to my listeners around the world, 8sleep currently ships not only within the USA, but also to Canada, the United Kingdom, select countries in the European Union, and Australia. All right, now back to the show. Brian, thank you for sharing your story. It's totally. horrifying what that therapist did. It's it's just hard for me to fathom, you know, as someone who went to grad school and worked several different internships to get licensed and took exams. And, you know, I, I mm-hmm. have all this clinical experience and training. And it's so hard for me to fathom how there are people who have professional licenses who are behaving this way. I mean, I, I'm hearing, you know, when, when you share your life story so vulnerably, okay, we have a young gay man who's been severely bullied for most of his life yes. and whose father rejects him 
and father demonstrates a type of masculinity that you don't connect with and parents are divorced and you got into drugs, which uh, is a common way of numbing the pain for people with that kind of trauma. And then you got into a porn addiction and it's well known that porn addiction gets, it escalates into weirder and weirder porn because of how it hijacks your brain chemistry. I mean, that is a complex clinical picture for a therapist to handle with care. And that that's not, there, there is no one size fits all solution to that. That is, all right, let's start from the beginning and see if we can establish a working therapeutic relationship. And it's going to take a while to unpack all that. But yeah, I mean, drugs, right? Trauma, like these are, these are the big glaring issues that I'm hearing, you know, yeah. internalized homophobia from the bullying that you've been through, porn addiction, loneliness. Yeah. And and the fact that you you went to somebody who's actually a licensed practicing therapist, LCSW, mm-hmm. licensed clinical social worker, yeah. who responded to that by saying, your problem is that you're actually a woman. Just mm-hmm. try it. I mean, that sounds so creepy when you say just try it. It's like, you know, anybody else who ever handed you drugs, the fir- you know, or whoever handed anybody drugs the first time, just try it. It'll make all your problems go away. It'll make you feel better. I mean, the fact that she injected you, now that's malpractice. We do not have a license to inject our patients. Um, The fact that she said that this is a life and death urgent situation, that, you know, that she, I mean, that's just egregious mishandling of your suicidal ideation. And I I, I just, I can't, fathom and uh, is she still practicing all right so this is the thing i can if you want remind me later i'll send you her videos they're still up or they were at least a couple months ago but there's a website from a trans man who doesn't like this person also because she behaved inappropriately friendships with the client patients clients whatever we want to call it and um various so I don't think so. And also this person alleges on the website that from like when I was seeing her, even her license wasn't active, was not active. So she was practicing without a license on top of all of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, and anyway, I can send that to you if you're interested, but yeah. So, um, I'm not the only one who's upset with this person. And this, this person seems to be like, you know, a happy transgender person, whatever, you know, that's fine. But so there, even so, even that person was upset about her being inappropriate with patients, friendships, things, you know, going out to the diner. And that's not from what I've talked to my current psychologist. That's not you're not supposed to befriend each other on Facebook. It's supposed to be like no. a bike, you know, right? So not supposed to do um, any. <laughs> Literally right. everything. So you she said would do stuff like that. Do. Yeah, she would go to like Denny's and stuff with these people with the group. So it was very strange, and um, so I've. I've talked to a couple lawyers or lawyers assistants and they said, I don't have much of a case against this woman because it was so long ago. It was a long time ago. So, or they just don't want to touch it. There's been that the endocrinologist I went to, I'm pretty sure I could sue because he, he gave me way too much hormone and he, and and he only accepted cash, but my insurance reimbursed me for it, which is a whole nother thing. So I, I'm not really litigious. I kind I would like to get the, the gender therapist, the, the the endocrinologist. I don't know. 
but the therapist, if, if, if it was possible, I would, I do think, cause I really do beha- believe that she's behaved wrongly to me and lots of other people, even people that are happy with going through a, a gender transition that, you know, maybe they'll never detransition. They probably won't, whatever. Um, they're not satisfied with this person, you know? So, but no one in, at least in California wants to take these cases. So I, you know, cause I'm more, cause I'm more upset about what she did, you know, because I, like I said, I really wouldn't, I truly believe I never would have done hormone. And I mean, at the, and I was a drug addict, so I was into trying new drugs. So estrogen and whatever, it was just a new drug to try. It, it would change my, and it really did change my psyche in a strange way. You know, it made me, I was able to cry and so, which I hadn't done in years. So, and it did make me feel differently. And I was into feeling differently, whether it's from amphetamines, opiates, whatever. I, at that time, that was what I was into. So I really do. And I know I'm not the only person upset with her. And her videos are just sick. Like watching them now, I'm just like, oh my God. But there's another therapist who, she's on TikTok and YouTube. And she's literally like, I could walk there if I wanted to from where I live right now. And she makes these weird videos too. And she's into all this non-binary. She has like this whole series on non-binary. And, and I, look, I don't, I don't dislike, it's a free country, but you know, to, I, 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 I don't want to necessarily be involved in someone else's, um, you know, self-image so much to where I have to like change English language, you know, but anyway, that's a whole nother topic. So, but there's more, more of these therapists and they're only, I mean, even Bill Maher, who I don't agree with Bill Maher on a lot of things, but he had a, a segment about uh, trans children in California. So I would say I'm not an extremist. I would say my, my views on gender ideology are probably very similar to Bill Maher's. Like, I do believe that transsexualism is real. However, I think it's much, much more rare than what we're seeing right now. And as far as like non-binary and all these new things, I just think that's sort of like almost like a fashion thing. And it's more like, I don't know. It's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And they always say like, there's these historical examples of it. They always bring up like the Native Americans or the India, uh, like in India. But I just feel like those might've been like misclassified trans people possibly, or they just, they just did something weird, but it was, it was like, it wasn't like this giant thing. There was, I, I've never found any history of people using they and them pronouns until what, like 2011? I don't like calling myself a cis man either. I, I, my mom's like, what is that? Like, had, uh, no one had ever heard, if you went back to 2010 and said, you know, that this would be the future, I, you know, like, this is modernity, I guess. You know, in the 80s, they said we'd have flying cars, but all we really have is like we, we can't really define women and we have all these new gender sub variants where it just seems like it's more of a fashion statement because I've never met a non-binary individual that wasn't extremely far left and didn't have like blue hair or, or like some kind of weird like denim vest with a bunch of pins on it or something. So, but I, I mean, I think there are, you know, trans, like, so I live in LA County. There's maybe 10 million people in LA County. There's, so maybe there should be like 20 transgender people, but there's like thousands. So I just, I don't know. I, I don't understand it. And having the, and having come out of it the way I have, I feel like I can look at it a lot differently. 
But when I when I first uh, became a trans woman, when I first transitioned, I would like flip out on my mom or my sister if they called me Brian or him, even though you know my mother gave birth to me as a male and you know raised me as her son and my sister you know as her brother. And I I was really like kind of indoctrinated for the first couple years, and then I started to come out of the woke once I got out of college, especially, and just started you know listening to things that weren't that were just not in that narrative mainly like i mean i'm not like a crazy jordan peterson fan but i just remember that was the first thing that kind of um, took me out of it i guess or made me matters made me think more objectively about it i guess rather than like did this you know just my subjective universe i just feel like the whole trans thing is a hundred percent subjective when I think they should look at it objectively. So that's just my two cents. So I definitely want to ask you more about how Jordan Peterson influenced you. He's a good influence for me as well. And uh, as well as um, your understanding of manhood and masculinity and how that's evolved over time. Also wanted to follow up and ask you about your thoughts now on using women's facilities, because it sounded like you did in the past, but you um, you said that you felt bad about that. I wanted to ask you more about the medical side. So I just want to note all those things. But first, you said that okay. when you were caught up in this, um, you would flip out on your mom and sister if they, quote unquote, misgendered you. And, yes. um, you know, I'm currently in dialogue both, you know, in my therapy practice and in the parents who reach out to me outside of therapy through social mm-hmm. media and so on. Um, I'm in the practice of, you know, trying to help people who are like your mom, you know, who are in that position sure. now where they have, you know, 16, 18, 20-year-old kids throwing rage fits for being misgendered and everyone's walking on eggshells. And it's interesting to hear you say this, having come out the other side of it from a place where you can say, I wasn't even a dysphoric kid. I was a gay guy who was not even that feminine. And this is ridiculous. You know, now you can say that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. so I'm curious, as someone who once through those rage fits, what advice would you have to offer or what perspective can you lend to people who are trying to deal with their loved ones in that state? You know, when, when I, so I was about 21, maybe, I think I was about 21 when I came out of the closet as a trans woman. And my mother was just so worried about me because I was doing, I was behaving very bizarrely, mainly abusing drugs and stuff but I was completely delusional I was completely delusional like I was like obsessed like when I studied sociology like um I was um originally really interested in like cults and serial killers more like the criminology side so I like all day long you know between you know doing drugs and all the other weird stuff when I would study it was mostly like I was researching like some kind of serial killer or like a suicide cult I was, what I wish someone did to me, what, what, I, what I think really would have saved me back then was had my roommate at the time, had he like taught, like, had we done some kind of like, not necessarily male, but some kind of like activity that wasn't like, you know, something to get me out of my head, like, like surfing, maybe I wish I had really got or skateboarding, MMA, uh, just really going to the gym, but I, d- I didn't do that at all. So I don't know. I mean, the kids, the kids now, I can't even imagine like, what it's like on a college campus or even a high school with the pronoun stuff. So that's a tough one. I don't, I really don't know what to say on that, but I would just say, 
you know, maybe, you know, explain from your perspective, you know, I, you know, I think my mom did this one time and I think I sort of gave her a little bit of slack, but she was like, you know, I, I gave birth to you as my son. And so this is an adjustment or whatever. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, my biggest fear in my, my, I've had a nightmare about it, about my niece or nephew, mainly my niece, uh, you know, somehow getting wrapped up in this. So, I mean, that's just, I don't know, but I don't, I mean, I was completely delusional is what I'm getting at. So if you showed me a video of a detransitioner or I would have just been like, this, this is bigoted. I used to call my mom bigot sometimes. And right. I, I, I got that from, I remember when I was studying, uh, I, I did a paper on Scientology. I watched an interview of Tom Cruise uh, calling this reporter a bigot. And I was like mimicking that in like a very masculine way. Like I would just be like, you are a bigot mother. Like I'm not going to oh, let, no. you know, <laughs> so sad, I don't know. It's sad a, tough, thing it's a is really like, tough one. You were, you were so close to having the knowledge that you actually needed if you had interpreted it slightly differently. I mean, I think it's valuable to study cults and highly manipulative people. I, I do that myself and mm-hmm. I recommend arming yourself with that knowledge, except that you weren't able to see that you were the one in the cult. <laughs> you no, were I, the I, being- Yeah, I always, I always explain the transgender thing. I always explain it as if you, some of the better episodes of The Twilight Zone um, the protagonists will, will come out of the twilight zone, so to speak, but the rest, everyone around the protagonist is still in it. So I some sort of feel like that way that like I've come out of it. Like, I mean, think about it, like Rod Serling could in 1950, he could have done a story about, you know, here's Brian, but in the twilight zone, he's known as Brianna and he's let his hair grow out and everyone, you know, affirms this, even though, you know, this is a young man. Who, you know, I had long hair and wore makeup and changed my body's chemistry and had my facial hair removed. And for the most part, people went along with it. My sister wasn't super down with it. So, but anyway, yeah. So I, I sort of feel like that, that, you know, I've come out of the twilight zone or left because there are cult-like aspects of the transgender movement. You know, it doesn't have like a clear uh, charismatic leader necessarily, but there's a lot of like wrong think. And if you leave, like, I mean, a few of the trans people that were my friends, they don't like me anymore. And they, I had one transgender friend in particular who tried to talk me out of it and said that, you know, I, I am just doing this to like, please my, my father. And that really had nothing to do with it. My life in some ways would have been easier had I stayed that way in some ways, not necessarily all, but so I do, I do see some cult-like aspects to the modern transgender movement. I mean, there are normal transgender people who live a normal life and they're not into it. But I feel like the kids especially, they're very aggressive. And yeah, so I mean, I, I, I'm sorry to any parent dealing with that. You know? So that's tough. I, I don't know. But I just I remember getting really mad at my mom and accusing her, calling her a bigot. You know? So... As a therapist, I've gotten an up-close and personal view at what people tend to struggle with day in and day out. Turns out, it's almost universal that we know we should be taking better care of ourselves in terms of the basic building blocks of well-being, like diet and exercise. But as valuable as it is for our mental and physical health to change our lifestyle habits, it's also much easier said than done. People often set goals that are too lofty, only to feel even worse about themselves when their aspirations inevitably fail. That's why I recommend starting with positive changes that are as simple as possible. Enter my new favorite beverage line. Organifi makes it so easy to improve your nutrition and start feeling better right now with refreshing plant-based blends of superfoods and adaptogens that you can just mix with water. My personal favorite is their green juice. 
It contains moringa, ashwagandha, chlorella, spirulina, wheatgrass, beets, turmeric, mint, lemon, and coconut water. 100% organic with no added sugar. And it tastes great. My family loves Organifi Gold, which promotes relaxation and restful sleep, served mixed with warm almond milk before bed. Organifi also makes several other powerful blends, all organic and loaded with vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, phytonutrients, anti-inflammatory herbs, and adaptogens. For less than $3 and 3 grams of sugar per serving, you can start giving your cells the support they need to manage stress and feel good. Check out their product line at Organifi.com. That's spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com. And use promo code SOMETHERAPIST to get 20% off your entire order. Your whole body will thank you. I'd like to ask some more questions about your family, if that's okay. Um, Mm -hmm. When it comes to your relationship with your mom, you speak positively of her. You say that you see that she was trying to do the right thing and that it must have been very hard for her when you were screaming that she was a bigot. Um, This must have (sighs) caused some damage to your family relationships. Uh, so can you tell us about the damage and about that healing process with, you know, all of you coming back together, forgiving each other? Yeah, I mean, I would say my my whole family, like my even my dad and I are pretty close now. Like he's, you know, just happy to have his son, you know. And my mom, she accepted me either way. She didn't, she definitely didn't understand the trans thing. No, I didn't either, obviously, but um, she's always accepted me through all the weird stuff I've done. She's, you know, I love my mother more than anybody in the world. And, um, you know, it's still like ongoing, you know, trying to, you know, heal from all the weird stuff, mainly like the drug abuse and the transgendering thing. So, I don't know, I just think it'll take some time, but I don't know, we're on, we're on good terms, though, you know? Um, she, I even told her one time how sorry, like recently, like within the last month, and I was crying. I told her, like, I'm really sorry for the whole thing. Like, I'm so sorry for doing, like, I'm, I apologize. She said I had nothing to be sorry about. And she was, she just thought that this is what, what, um, she needed to do to help me at the time. So anyway, God bless her heart. And, you know, so she's, yeah. She's always been there for me, you know. I just remember I uh, I went to Target and I passed by the book display. It was like a children's book display, and they had this book. It was like I will love you forever, and I saw it and it just had it like because I remember my mom read it to me, and um, I don't know. It's just my mom really did love me forever through all the weird, all the strange things I've done, you know. So. Uh, so I just think, you know, our relationship will only get better. And, you know, I still, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things or whatever, but, you know, we, I still love my mom. She loves me. You know, she's, you know, she loves her grandchildren, you know, that my sister has, my sister's two kids. And yeah, so, you know, I care about my sister a lot. And my sister, even um, when I, you know, I didn't even really tell her formally that I was going to go back to living as a male. But I think my mother had sent her um, the soft white underbelly interview I did. And she texted me one day saying how proud of me she is and how handsome I looked and how she's, you know, how she's proud of me. And she's never said that to me. Like my sister always like saw me as like this degenerate drug addict who like she was embarrassed about. 
you know so you know we're you know talking we went out to dinner one time like within the last uh i don't know since i detrans she wanted to see me she wanted to see her brother you know so and my sister definitely didn't she she because she remembered me as a child like not being like you know i like even though i wasn't like super masculine i i i liked i didn't like i remember my sister i used to get pissed at my sister like she would put on like legally blonde or something i wouldn't want to watch that you know i used to i did used to like to watch like baseball and skateboarding and surfing and any extra dirt biking i knew all about dirt bikes at one point so i don't know so she was kind of like confused like wait brian wants to be a girl like you know what's I mean, yeah, because I know, like, in, in terms of gay males, I don't think I'm on even on the effeminate side, you know? I dress somewhat conservatively, not conservatively, but I don't really, I don't do the le- leather short shorts and all that. I don't, I'm not, you know, yes, yes, queen and all that. I don't do that, you know? So, I don't know. It just kind of came out of the blue, the whole trans thing for me. I believe, I guess it would be a case of what they call rapid onset gender dysphoria for me it wasn't like a thing it wasn't like when i was in kindergarten telling my mom you know i need to wear a dress i'm really a girl call me no i just, i loved tonka trucks and um uh, i liked baseball i wasn't really good at it but i liked it i liked skateboarding i used to love jackass like johnny knoxville all that kind of stuff um and I'm sure there are girls that did too, but you know, whatever. So yeah, it just, it really was, uh, I don't know, a, a strange thing in my opinion. And you, as much as you didn't fit the bill of like a classic case of early childhood, consistent gender dysphoria, mm-hmm. you did have these factors that made you vulnerable like you yeah. said that by the time you got to this gender therapist, you were just really like the idea of being someone else, of getting to escape from your life. And it's yes. it's just tragic to me that that you had that experience and that so many other people had that experience where, of course, you wanted to escape your life. Of course, you love the fantasy of being someone else because look at what you'd been through. And yeah. it's our job in therapy to understand and unpack and support you with that. And instead, there was just this, oh, you want to be someone else? Well, here you go. And yeah, it was this the, the, the is going to make it all better. Yeah. All right. Well, I also remember another thing she said, too, because I was like, you know, my dad will never accept this. I told her a little bit about my dad. And she was like, oh, well, you just won't have a father anymore. I'm like, oh, you know, like that's just weird. I feel like in, in hindsight, in retrospect, rather, that that's just a weird thing to say, like, you know? Yeah, I I feel like that's one of the many red flags about this approach to, you know, gender affirmation therapy is that there's, I mean, not only is it clinically unsubstantiated and not evidence-based, but, you know, anecdotally looking at the evidence I can see from where I stand, this is uh, very destructive of family relationships. And and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, so I'm trained to work with couples and families and to see things in a systems, you know, in a holistic view where I see that, you know, the healing of the individual involves their relationships. And the idea of just cutting people off from their families um, and triangulating and splitting people into good and bad and just off with the heads of any transphobic family members, I mean— 
this is not an approach to healing that involves the whole person and no. their social environment. Family is important. Family is going to be there for you as as imperfect as they are. They're going to be there for you so much longer than these strangers on the internet who you say yeah. you lost many of those friends because those yeah. relationships are more more fickle. Yeah, I mean, another weird thing that happened to me when I was in college was I got involved in the Gay-Straight Alliance, the GSA, which they changed in my senior year to the Gender Sexuality Alliance. And originally, it was like a fun club. It was like about like, you know, we'd have like these meetings and we'd talk about stuff. But at the end of the semester, we would like get a party bus and we would go to like West Hollywood and, you know, go to the nightclubs and stuff. But the guy who ran it graduated a year before I did. And this like militant... She was a lesbian back then, but I'd bet money. I bet money that she's a they them by now. But anyway, she took it over and it was all about like wokeness and political and how certain professors there are terrible because they're, you know, they believe in biology or whatever. And at this time, the, a few of the people from the club, because I went to a small school, somewhat like it's somewhat Christian, like, but anyway, um, there was a transgender male who was a student at the school. And they tried to set us up on a date. And I was just like, no, I'm not, I'm not really interested in dating a transgender male because, you know, I like, you know, natural men. I don't, a vagina is not my thing. And they said that that was transphobic and harmful. And they, they eventually like asked me not to come back anymore because this was like around the time of the early Black Lives Matter protests. And all I said was, I, I all I said was because they were going to like downtown LA and they were like blocking the 101 freeway, which I think is a terrible idea. And I just said, I think that's really crazy to do. I think that's a crazy thing to do to walk like it's dangerous and you're going to mess up traffic like for half the state. And they were mad at me for using the term crazy, which they said was a microaggression aggression. And they they were like, how can you go against this like BLM stuff? And, I was, and they yeah they they said that they didn't feel safe around me. So that was when I started to like, that was like the first little red, red pill a, l- a little bit. That was like, the, I was like, you know, the, these people are crazy. They're crazy. And yeah, they, they, so that's, I can't even imagine what the GSA is like at any school, you know? So. It must be hard for young people to find community that's not destructive. Yeah. Um, can I ask so to clarify, when you saw the gender therapist, that was the first time you'd ever gone to a mental health professional, right? No. Oh, no. okay. I had gone before, but um, in that time, I wasn't actively doing it. I wasn't. I, I had been in therapy before. Like, my mom used to take me to therapist when I was little. Like, even like, in, not little, little, but probably like by the time I was in junior high, she'd take me to some. But I didn't, I usually didn't like it. You know, I usually didn't really want to do it. Like, I, some, like, I remember specifically when I was like a little boy. Because your mom dragged you there. Yeah, she she kind of forced me to, or or there'd be like some incentive, like if you do this, I will, you know, take you here or buy you this. So I never really took it seriously, but I had gone. But before that, a couple of years before that, I was going to see a therapist for a year or two, like just a normal. Thing. I should have gone back to that person, but I, I don't know. I found these YouTube videos and you know so on and so forth. So, but no, I, I had gone to therapy before. All right, yes, yeah, so the the last name thing's not a huge deal. My the the my bond they know about this stuff and they're they're glad that I'm just a normal male but that you know it's just not good to have like these crazy people in the in the lobby like screaming you know like these anti this one yeah. antifa kid hates me and it's just I don't know so anyway no I mean who wants that harassment right right I mean so. I think part of 
one of my concerns for detransitioners is that, you know, for years your identity was wrapped up in being trans. And then if you're not careful with your boundaries, your identity can get wrapped up in being detrans. And there's all these pressures on you from people yeah. for whom that identity makes, you know, it means something to them, whether it's the TRAs who hate you or it's all the people who are concerned about gender who are like, we need detransitioners to share their stories. And you become like this poster child and you forget yeah. to just be yourself and like discover who you are for your own sake, you know, separate from the issue of gender. I agree. I mean, I agree. I That's why I'm hesitant to do the, the one interview I told you about. But as far as I don't know why any of the D or not the D trans the trans rights people hate would hate me because I don't hate them. I don't like honestly if I went to a place and it was and I came in contact with a transgender man or woman, I wouldn't do anything mean to him. I would I would you know I would I would treat them the way you know I would use the she and her if it's a transgender. I have nothing against them. I don't care if they detransition. I don't care if they say trans. That's fine. Okay. I just want society to look at the issue objectively. That's all. That's all I care about. Do I think the trans movement has gone too far? Yes, I do. But I also believe it's a free country, and, and if you want to do that, that's fine. So I don't know why they they dislike me. You know. So yeah, like if you want to transition, I mean, just really do your homework. I didn't like really go to like serious therapy and stuff, and you know think about what you're doing and I, I i don't like the taxpayers paying for it. that's another thing but that's just me but they hate me you know that's a terrible thing of course so um anyway i don't know why i would be hated i have nothing against anybody i just think that you know maybe it's good to look at both sides because i've had something bad happen to me and a lot of people have so and i i it just seems like you know, if you look at it like it from a numbers perspective, when you have all these people transitioning now, there's going to be more detransitioners, and some of the some of the stories are much worse than mine, much worse than mine. You know, so yeah, that's that's all I ask is just like, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah, do I think the transgender movement's gone too far? Yes, but I also think you know it's a free country, and I, I don't hate anybody at all. It's I, you know, whatever. I mean, if those trans, if if they're trans, you know, I, whatever, whatever, you know. So it's my thing. Mm -hmm. so. so you believe in freedom. You also believe sure. people should do their research. There should be more safeguarding. Um, yes. And you say that you don't think taxpayer dollars should cover this, which I agree. I, I wrote an article recently called Human Rights or Special Privileges that unpacks some of the things that gender activists mean when they say trans mm -hmm. rights are human rights. And I question, are the things that they're calling trans rights, are the demands that they're making actually things that most of us consider basic human rights? And that would be one yeah. of them, right? Like having taxpayer dollars cover your cosmetic surgeries is, yeah, like a is one of those things on the list. In, in LA, you the, you can get, not, I mean, yeah, they'll, they'll pay for the breast augmentation. They'll, they'll have all this like weird, and, but the, the surgeons who, who take this medic are not good surgeons. But anyway, yeah, I just... I mean, if I wanted to have a facelift, I'd have to pay for it. If I wanted a nose job, so I, I, my family paid for the I, whatever. I, I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I'm just very conflicted about the whole thing. Like so. So on the subject of people's uh, yeah. rights, um, you know, one of the rights 
that trans rights activists demand is for self-ID to trump sex when it comes to, um, you know, of course, bathrooms, sports, prisons, and all of that. So you said that you had used facilities along with other women and uh, yes. you felt you feel badly about that in retrospect. So tell us your thoughts on this matter from where you stand today. Okay. Um, yes. When I was a trans, my, you know, when my name was legally Brianna, just the slightly effeminate Brian, I had the gender marker on my driver's license and my passport and everything. It said female, even. I mean, I had male genitalia. I, excuse me. I basically just wore makeup and had long hair, but yeah, I, I lived in a, I went to four different rehab, drug rehabs and I, I lived with women. I definitely a few of them at the places didn't like me being there, but you know, I, in, in retrospect, I do wish I never did that. I did use the women's uh, locker rooms, bathrooms. And yeah, I, for me, I definitely shouldn't have in hindsight. I do regret doing it. And as far that's, uh, Another when I say when I say the trans movement has gone too far, that's what I mean. Like, I mean that swimmer Leah Thomas. Even the most, I mean, I mean even people you would think are like woke, so to speak, are not down with Leah. I mean, unless they're like super super woke. But I know a few people that you know like are very liberal, and they're like, all right, Leah Thomas, I, I can't. I'm sorry, I can't because you know maybe they were involved in athletics or it's just it's not fair. Come on, and the prisons. I mean, I I don't think that's a good idea for, um, I mean, we've already seen, like, there's an articles about uh, female prisoners being impregnated by trans women. So on that front, I would have to say, no, I don't think it's a good idea to put transgender women into um, a woman's prison, jail, whatever the case may be. I also, the sports thing, no, I don't. I mean, I used to beat my sister some at certain sports, and I wasn't really even good at sports. So if we would play basketball together, I could, you know, sort of, and I'm, you know, younger than her. And so, yeah, I, I certainly, you know, I'm sorry. I'm just, and, and, but some people say that's a very hateful thing to say, and I don't, I'm just, you know, I'm not saying it with hate. It's just I'm, I want, you know, everyone to, you know, I want, you know, I don't think we should have special privileges to anyone necessarily. I mean, I don't think most trans men would want to go to San Quentin, the men's prison. I don't know. I know. So that's another, that's another. So I don't, I don't know what we do. What do we do? Do we build another prison? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But in California, they're, they're, I don't know, you, you have to do some really vicious stuff to even end up in a uh, correctional facility. So I don't know. It's a really t- touchy issue. I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. But I, I, I certainly don't think that self-ID. I mean, in, here in Los Angeles, there's, if you, if you want to look into it, there's a case of a person going by the name of Hannah Tubbs who assaulted a young girl in a bathroom at a Denny's here in Los Angeles County somewhere. And this person's, I don't even think this person is, this person is just using the transgender thing to get better. Just look into it. If, on your own time, look, just Google Hannah Tubbs, George Gascon. That's the D. Anyway, it's a very, so yeah, I mean, if, 
you know, I do think it will be abused where, you know, because a men's prison is a bad place. You know, if you're a little dude, like, you know, and you're not affiliated with a gang, it's, yeah. So if you said, you know, oh, well, I'm training, you, you go into the ladies' jail, prison, whatever, you're, you're probably going to have a better experience. And if you're into heterosexual or whatever, into women, you know, that's, come on. That's another thing I don't understand about the trans thing is most of the trans women I met are into women. That's enough. I don't know. But anyway, I just thought of that. But um, so, yeah, I, I, no, I don't support that. I, I think we should have single sex facilities. Maybe, maybe, they'll, maybe one day, I don't know, they'll have to build a tr- a tr- an LGBT prison. I don't know. I believe the LA County Jail has an LGBT ward. I, so I've been told. That's what I've been told by people. So I hope you've been enjoying this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast. If you like what you're hearing, now's a great time to like, subscribe, follow, rate, review, or share. You can also support the podcast by visiting sometherapist.com shop, where you will find goods and services I have personally curated to support your well-being and enrich your life. We're just building the shop, so check back periodically and feel free to suggest recommendations. All right, now back to the show. Anyway. So you also talked about um, masculinity and manhood. Yeah, and sure. so early in your life, there was not a model of masculinity that fit you because your father's version of it was very different from your own. And he didn't express that in a way that was healthy or supportive for you. And then you were just bullied. And then you had to discover that you were gay. And you say that um, now that you're a young man and you've come out of your trans phase, um, Jordan Peterson's been influential. So tell us about your kind of story arc of discovering what masculinity or manhood mean for you. Well, for, I don't think there's anything bad about being a man. I, another thing I remember too, in the early 2010s, this was it, like being a man was kind of like, you know, like, oh, you're so privileged. This is like the beginning of the privilege thing. And like, you know, men are, you know, dangerous and like these predator thing people and, this and that but like jordan peterson kind of in a way he you know had that there's you know there's nothing wrong with being a man it's half the population of the globe is males so there's nothing wrong with being a male and you know being i don't have to to be a uh, i don't have to be john rambo you know i don't have to drive a hummer and you know have a girlfriend with you know fake breasts or any of that, you know, I don't have to, you know, I don't want a girlfriend ever. I don't want a wife, you know? So, but there are some gay males who are more, I would say I'm like in terms of masculinity, maybe in the middle of it. I wouldn't say I'm hyper-masculine, but I'm definitely not hyper-feminine. I have some feminine traits. Okay. But nothing that means I should change the chemistry of my body or change my identity. I sh- what I should have done back in 2010, 11 was just, you know, tried being gay. You know, just tried that, like, you know, go to more nightclubs and, you know, try to have a boyfriend or whatever. And I just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I didn't really do that. So anyway, you know, there's... You know, I mean, there's no, there's not just one way of being a man or, you know, being a woman, you know, just because there are like, there are feminine men and masculine women. And it doesn't mean you should change your sex or gender rather. 
yeah, so I regret doing that, of course, changing my body's chemistry and all that. When I should have just, you know, I don't know, maybe I would have gone through a phase where I did want to be a more feminine gay. I don't know. I don't think so, really, but that's what I should have done. So, but I didn't do it. I did like the you, exact opposite. You missed out on what you see in retrospect could have been opportunities to have more of like a normal gay young adulthood where you're exploring and experimenting and it doesn't it's not surprising that 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 was hard for you when you describe you know living with your mom and then your dad and what your dad's attitudes were towards gay people and how you got caught up in your drug addiction and your porn mm-hmm. addiction um because of that that trauma and loneliness it must have felt really scary i mean as as much as you wanted to go out and be a gay boy like it must have felt really scary and out of reach it did and i i i specifically remember when i was living with my father i had this one gay friend who we had like connected over our enjoyment of of drug abuse and i do remember there was one night we did go to west hollywood and got like really really you know, just annihilated on drugs and alcohol and having a good time. But I was like so ashamed of it that I had to like hide it from my dad and like from my friends at the time, you know, because I'd come home at like five in the morning and I'd make up this like lie of a story of where I had been all night, you know. So I don't know. I don't know. I really, I wish I could have talked to myself from 10, 11 years ago, but, you know, I can't. So I just have to move on from it. If you you could, what would you tell yourself? I would just tell myself that there's nothing wrong with me. There's really nothing wrong with me. That's all I would really say is there's nothing wrong with me other than other than the drug abuse, the drug addiction. Like stop that. Like go to a um, go to the rehab. Like you can do it. You know, I did do it. So I would just tell myself to get off the drugs. Because I used to, uh, drugs used to be a part of my identity too. I used to like really love Hunter S. Thompson and rave culture and all that crap. I, I was into that. So my, I, it was a stupid identity and I, I don't really feel anything for it now. But I mean, I like Hunter S. Thompson, like a lot of his stuff. But um, I just wanted to, I don't know. I thought he, like people like that were really cool. Like my, I don't know. The people I looked up to were like, I thought this drug dealer guy I used to hang out with, I thought he was really cool. I don't don't know why. But those people are not cool. Like, they're probably not doing it. They might be in, who knows? They could be in San Quentin right now. I don't know. I I don't really, you know, uh, didn't keep in touch with most of these people. So, yeah, I just told myself there's nothing wrong with me. That's it. Other than the drug Mm -hmm. addiction. You know, just to be yourself. Mm -hmm. Accept yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you needed support with your internalized homophobia. Sure. Do you feel like the time that you spent wrapped up in your trans identity and all all the stuff around that, the social groups around it, the working on your the medications you were taking and the image and all of that kind of stuff, like, do you feel like it took time away from you that you could have been cultivating other aspects of yourself or maybe your your romantic life 
Yeah, I mean, I never, throughout the whole transition thing, I never dated any, I had this sugar daddy character for about a year, not even really a year, but after a while I couldn't stand the sight of this person. Um, but I never really dated anyone. Still, I mean, throughout that, I still, I never, not really. I've, you know, I'm not like a virgin or anything, but I do think I would have probably dated a bit. I, mean, I, 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 I still a little bit have like an irrational fear. I, mean, I don't know if it's irrational or not, but I have like a fear of diseases for some like, uh, you know, uh, STDs, STIs, whatever they call them nowadays. So I, and I, you know, however though, I do think I, you know, could have met somebody and, you know, dated and not done the stereotypical uber promiscuous uh, homosexual male so yeah, I do think it took because also too, the only thing when I did do the estrogen stuff, it it did really eliminate any uh, human desires I, that I used to have. It I didn't you know have any of those desires, and I also got into different drugs after transgendering. Like once I I, I started doing opiates like pretty heavily and Xanax a lot more, and those you know kill your sex drive anyway. It's like impossible to orgasm on those at least opiates. So yeah. So I, I do think had I, I probably would have had at least a boyfriend or gone on dates or something, you know? So. Yeah. What kind of help do you think that people need, people like you, whether they be, um, I guess you at different times in your life, meaning what type of support do you think that detransitioners need? What do detransitioners need? therapists to know um and also you know kind of going back in time to that kind of confused traumatized drug addicted guy who thought he was a trans woman like what does someone in that position need well the first since detransitioning i've gotten good therapy from my psychologist i go to see who like I said, she's not she's not a gender therapist. She's just a clinical psychologist who um, she's very experienced. She's a nice, very nice person, you know, very professional, and she's helped me a lot. And she, you know, helped me with the detransition, etc. However, the only thing that, that I, is really lacking, and they're going to have to do something about this because there's going to be more of us in the near future, and so on. Because the endocrinologist, like the urologist, he was so confused. Like he, he was like, you know, he, like he was an older guy who I went to, a really good urologist. But both the urologist and the endocrinologist really, they're like, they, they don't really know how to help me. I mean, the urologist looked at me and like, you know, gave me, you know, prostate exam, looked at my parts, looked at blood tests, et cetera. But they don't really know what to do. Because they can't give me testosterone. If they give me testosterone, then my, my body will definitely, it won't be able to make its own in the future. So I just have to wait this out for a couple more months. And, you know, like he looked at my parts and he thinks they'll be okay. Both of them did. But they still, they, like, they didn't know, like, what, you know, what to do. So I don't know. Had I gone to go to the endocrinologist I used to go see, because he was charging me a lot of money. I used to spend like, I don't know, like $1,200 every three months. He would have just loaded me up with testosterone. And then my body, would, my, 
I have the capability to make it. So eventually I, I believe it will come back, but it's just, it's been very, my bones hurt sometimes. Um, you know, so I am worried about certain things physically. I would say mostly the physical stuff. And like when some, like I said, I just think there needs to be like an, a better assessment. If someone wants to change your sex, gender, whatever you want to call it is a very serious thing. I don't, I think you should have to go through like a much more strenuous process of like seeing mental health professionals to make sure this is really what you want to do and that this is going to improve your life and try other things, not just immediately like, okay, change your sex. Go on, go on cross-sex hormones. Go to the DMV and change your name or the courthouse, whatever. I don't, I don't think that's the path. I think maybe for some people it might be, but I think for a lot of people, such as myself and others, maybe it's just like you need to exercise. And for my case, I needed to get off drugs. And, like, I don't know, exercising has helped me a lot. Going in the sun, just swimming in the ocean, like, you know, stuff like that, getting a hobby, not spending all day inside on the internet, stopping looking at porn, you know? So, yeah, I don't think I should, I, I, don't, I don't know why this rush to transition, especially with young adolescent ch- children, basically. I think that's odd, certainly. So anyway. It's scary that that the medical professionals don't know what they're doing. I mean, if they did, I don't get it. Wouldn't be recommending these things in the first place because they are so destructive. But to to be able, you know, to give someone these cross sex hormones and then not have the competency to be able to help them recover from how that damaged them, uh, it's just right, right. And they don't, they don't like the the urologist I went. Right, the urologist I went to when he came in, he was so confused. He was like, he was like, I don't know where he, he was from, somewhere in the Middle East. But he 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 sat down and he he went, my son, why were you taking estrogen? Like he just he, you know, which I kind of you know from his perspective I see, but I don't know, I don't know. But there there really wasn't that many people, and like the the really tr- what they call the trans affirming doctors. I don't know if they would have helped me or not. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. So the urologist you see had not met other trans or detrans people. This was all new to him. It didn't seem like a. That's shocking. It, yeah, it seemed. It's like it seemed new. Where have you yeah, been? It seemed, I mean, he was old. He was probably in his seventies. The the endocrinologist knew about it. Okay, so these medical professionals don't know what they're doing. And this is a really precarious time to be trans or detrans or affected by this in any way. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I would just like to see there to be good assessments for people, mainly on the mental health side before people go through this. But I don't know. So, I mean, in my case, because I was doing these hormone pellets and he was over medicating me, like he was like, giving me so much estrogen like it's just gonna and there's no way to remove them so i just have to wait it out and it's kind of unpleasant so the pellets i can't i'm new to this can you explain how that works yeah so they they make this small incision like this tiny incision on the inside of your butt cheek and they can implant these they look like like pellets like like what a hamster you know would eat or whatever 
They're like, like these little tiny little things. And they go into you and they slowly release into your bloodstream from the subcutaneous. Um, and they're in you. And he would give me like 11 of, of them at a time. And he would have me come every three months. But I haven't gone since November of 2021. And I still have pretty high levels of estrogen. My body's making testosterone. So it's really, it's really hard for me because I have like both kind of in my system right now. And it's just like a constant thing. And, you know, sometimes the estrogen will drop and it'll make me like more emotional. I don't know. It's very, very unpleasant. Like hormones are, you shouldn't play with them, you know? So. Yeah, that's crazy. How long, do you have any idea how long it's going to take for the estrogen to get through your system? I don't know. I'm going to go to see the endocrinologist in mid-September and he's going to do another blood test. But when I went to him six months after I had gone to doc this doctor, I almost said his name, but who was doing the pellets, he told me that my hormone levels were like higher than a pregnant woman's. So like ridiculously high, like off the truck, like sky high. So had I gone to this endocrinologist, he would have just said, oh, well, let me fill you up with testosterone pellets. And these, they're, they're expensive, you know? So he, he would have charged me like, you know, $1,200 or so. And he would have loaded me up with testosterone and it would have really messed me up. So, and, and if you do synthetic testosterone, my body won't make its own. I have, you know, it, it, I think the endocrinologist, he's pretty, and the, the urologist, they look, they probe me like literally. So they think that my, you know, my prostate's very small, but you know, they think it'll come back online and all this stuff, at least we're hoping. So I'm hoping I won't have to take, um, you know, um, exogenous, uh, testosterone or whatever. Even though you say that, you know, a lot of people had it worse and that you're very thankful you didn't have any surgeries. I mean, as, well, aside from incisions, but like still, I mean, this is quite a process detransitioning for you. And, and I imagine you must feel so helpless with this body that's just kind of trapped on this roller coaster of you have no idea how what this estrogen is going to do to you for how long? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty, you know, kind of scary. I'm, I do worry about it, um, especially in the long term. And yeah, like I said, I mean, that there's no one that can like really give me a definitive answer. And it's it's very yeah, it's it's I feel I have trouble sometimes just you know doing stuff because I feel more. I don't know. So you're on a roller coaster. Yes. Yes, very much so. What What has helped you cope with those ups and downs when you never know how you're going to feel on any given day? Um, I don't know. I like to just go for walks, do simple stuff. I mean, just going out in nature really helps, like going to the beach and all that. That helps me. Um, so... Uh, so stuff like that. I'm trying to stay off the internet. Not stay off of it, but I don't know. So if I go on the internet too much, it, it starts to depress me. Like if I if I read these stories or like any, so I try to to limit that at least a little bit. So yeah, I would say that's the um, you know the way. I can. And also. I, you know, I go to my job every day that gets me out of my, just getting out of my head, really, you know, trying to spend time with my family and the friend, the friends I have and stuff like that. I do see a psychologist every week. 
Um, so that kind of thing. Well, so out of the people who are listening, we have parents, therapists, detransitioners. Um, what any, do you have any final words of wisdom or guidance for any of our listeners? Um, well, I would just, you know, I think you need to be careful what you wish for. I really do. Because at one time I thought, you know, this, the, being a woman, for whatever reason, was what I wanted, but it was not. And I really do think that you need to be careful, just be cautious. I mean, it's not like, I mean, changing your gender or whatever, changing the hormones in your body is a big deal. It's like, really, it's what, right? I don't feel right, you know, with my hormonal situation right now. And I wouldn't w wish it on anyone. So I would say, like, people need, I mean, it's not like, you know, cutting your hair. You know, like, let's say you have long hair and you cut your hair. That's, a, you know, not that big of a deal for most, you know, it'll grow back 99% of the time. But, you know, changing your gender and stuff, this, like, I'll deal with the effects of this probably to some extent for the rest of my life. So it's not, it, it's a big deal. You know, you don't just try hormones. It's not like trying a, a new brand of shoes or like, a, you know, a new shampoo. It's, it's a serious thing. And, yeah, so just be wary of all, all of that. And, you know, I think you should just try being yourself, if possible. I mean, you don't want to be a medical patient for the rest of your life, unnecessarily. You know, that's what I wish. I, I don't know, that's what I wish I knew when I started this, that it was going to have a negative effect on my physical health and my, definitely my mental health. I mean... It's, I mean, it's, it's definitely an embarrassing thing. Like, if I, you know, say I do find a, a man to date, I will have to tell him about this, you know, and some people, some guys might not be into it, you know? So it's always kind of going to be with me. It's always going to be with me, the transition that I did. It will always be a part of me, I guess. So, anyway. Just be careful, be careful if you don't rush into anything, like, you know, it's a big thing to change your sex, gender, chemicals, the hormones in your body, it's, you know, so, yeah, and just look, always be objective, like, look at both sides, look at both sides, like, there's, you know, I don't think it's, I don't know, but like I said, had anyone shown me a video of a detransitioner when I got into it, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if I would have, maybe it would have saved me, maybe not. I don't know. But I really think that getting involved in something healthy, some kind of activity, sport, anything would have possibly saved me from it. Maybe. I don't know for sure. But I, that's, that would be my only advice to any parent who, or concerned family member, dealing with a trans child, whatever, just get the kid involved maybe in karate or anything they might be into, other than like 
TikTok and, you know, the gender club at school, okay? I think that would have been good for me. All right. Well, again, Brian, thanks for sharing your story. Yeah, sure. My pleasure. All right. Take care. I hope you enjoyed this episode of You Must Be Some Kind of Therapist podcast with Stephanie Wynn, LMFT. This podcast is produced by Eric and Amber Beals at Different Mix. Special thanks to the talented musician Joey Pecorero for our theme song, Half Awake. At SomeTherapist.com, you can find more information on any topic, guest, resource, product, or service you've heard of here today. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram at SomeTherapist. If you would like to ask a question, suggest a topic, be a guest, or invite me to speak, you can email us at hello at SomeTherapist.com. You can also send us a voice memo with your question, and we just might play it. Of course, just because I'm some therapist doesn't mean I'm your therapist. This podcast is not a substitute for medical advice. If you need help, ask your doctor or browse your local therapists online. And whatever you do next, please take care of yourself. Eat well, sleep well, move your body, get outside, and tell someone you love them. You're worth it.